0: Even sinners love those who love them. Luke six thirty-two. Bible study continues tonight in John's Gospel. Bring your, your finger foods and we'll study together. John 18 tonight. We're starting John 18. Choir rehearsal tonight at 5. I'll look this way. I got the nod, so if you're in choir... Try to be here at 5. We're going to do that. Men's Bible study Tuesday at 10 a.m. The McLeods. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Business. Tuesday's been canceled. canceled. Okay, so get your red pen out and strike Tuesday. Um, However, the business meeting will go on. So if you're responsible for a report, make sure you have that. And we'll come in. Kind of get that get through that together, if I could say it that way next Sunday is our communion service uh, following morning worship no dinner and then no evening service next week s g b a winter blast this weekend, February two through four You can see the posters on the helps board. I don't know if there's anybody that hasn't gotten ready for that, but if you haven't, you can see. <laughs> You can see Laura or Jared, perhaps, but uh, coming up fast, so they'll be missing next weekend from our Sunday morning. Winter Blast. Much thanks to Dale and Phil for cooking and cleanup. I I will underscore that. Much, much thanks. Those guys were up before the chickens uh, to come here and make piles of food and that's a lot of work and then, then and then when once that's done then you got the cleanup chore and so thanks a lot guys we, we really appreciate that and I know the men that were here also uh, appreciated that and, and again not not only the cooking but the shopping and the whatever it's it's a it's a lot of work and
1: we so. have leftovers
0: for tonight <laughs> okay so if you if you like what french toast, <laughs> french toast yeah. There'll be, there'll be some here. All right. Um, anything that I've missed this morning? Let's do scripture for meditation then. Let's uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's stand and open our service with a prayer. Dale, can I ask you again?
1: Sure. Our God and our Father, how thankful we are that we uh, blessed for this day that you've given us. This is a day the Lord has made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us out. Most of us are some of us still have colds and blues be with those that that couldn't make it today because of illness we ask to bless them in their day be with us while the pastor brings the message that we could have ears that hear and minds that that would understand that uh, this afternoon when we leave that we could go away a little bit better and a little serve Jesus Christ in our life. We um, ask that you definitely bless the pastor, bless us here <coughs> as we go. And uh, thank you for a good men's retreat, dear Lord. And
0: uh, thank you for this day. Amen. 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 Remain standing.
2: Good morning. Take your red hymnal and turn to number 80. 80 in the red above all the heads, even while standing. And um, I think it was Andrew's hand that I saw first. Andrew, do you have a favorite hand? Say it one more time. 204 in the red. 204 in the red. 204, do we have a reason? for 204 in the red,
3: Andrew? Uh, Okay. 204 204 in the red. Yeah, yeah, it's good.
0: Friday evening and Saturday was the annual men's retreat and we had our speaker we had to we had to move the camera back this morning Mr. Whipple is well over six feet I mean well over Um, and he spoke from James so we'll talk about that for just a minute George you want to come up with me You wanna go first? Okay. Okay.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I thought that uh, the message that he brought was uh, very timely and very uh, interesting from the standpoint that personally, I've been struggling with the idea that we must be missing something in the concept of what church is really about and what our Christian faith and walk should be like. And uh, he kind of brought out, I think, some very interesting statements when he began with the thing about uh, what is re- true religion, taking care of the widowless and, uh, you know, the orphans and so on and so forth. And there are other scriptures that could be quoted in that same vein, but it seems to be a very far thought from where we're at today. We seem to be happy with uh, just making it through church attendance or coming to Sunday school or doing certain things that we as Christians think are, is necessary, but I think it's time, as he brought out, that we stop and really consider what the scripture says about other things that we don't practice and participate in, as we should. And uh pastor and I were talking earlier today, and I said, well, I thought his first message was the best. And he said, well, I didn't. It was too long. And I said, but the content was good, you know. And the first night was kind of long, but the whole thing was excellent because... He had a lot of thoughts, almost more than you can handle, and you know there's a lot to chew on. And I really appreciated his ministry to us. So.
0: Great, thanks. Um, I, I, I'm I'm not much of a note taker. I find that as I'm taking notes, I miss what's going on in the in the sermon. But um, let me try to uh, introduce you to uh, him briefly. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing his age is in his, in his middle 60s and um, was uh, in the pastorate, I believe he said, 42 years. Um, don't kind of know what what changes happened, but um, uh, his parents are still living and uh, needed help. Uh, I believe they certainly would be in their 90s. Uh, so the decision was made for him to leave the the church uh, that he was pastoring. What did he say? He was in there for 27 years. Mm-hmm. He was in that church 27 years. Um, they moved uh, about six hours away uh, to be near his parents and uh, are are caring for uh, his parents. Um, mom is mom is in a a nursing home. Dad lives a few miles away, and so uh, he goes picks up dad takes them to the nursing home, they visit every day. And so I thought, how, how wonderful that, that he would have opportunity to, to, and the ability to do that. But anyway, um, so what that meant was I guess that freed up some time uh, you know, from being a full-time pastor. So he is uh, the executive director of, let me think of the name, what's the name of the ministry? Uh, Bethsaida Ministry. And that's a ministry uh, that deals with orphans, um, primarily orphaned uh, from the AIDS epidemic or pandemic, if you will, in Southern Africa. And so he's, he's fairly involved in that. And, and I'll just say uh, what I, I appreciate that ministry and what they're trying to do. And, and apparently under his leadership, they're trying to put the African people kind of in the driver's seat, if you will. So instead of having all the administration and all the management and all the money uh, coming from the United States, they're trying to say, no, we'll kind of come alongside of you and the African people will, will be in charge and we'll help to certainly help fund and stuff. So I appreciated that and that sounded like that transition was gonna take place over the next couple of years as to the content of um of the uh of the conference uh, i can probably give it to you best from the text so uh not to go into detail but let's uh read james the first chapter 22 you don't have to go there he 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 was in the whole first chapter but i'm going to start at 22 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does, so that was kind of the gist of it or the theme of it, at least from from where I sat, in that um, he 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 repeated over and over, "Don't mistake the part for the whole, and what he meant by that was um, Make sure your focus isn't on one thing don't don't think because you you kind of have down one kind of part of the Christian experience That that is Christianity In the whole and and I think that if you can take away that Thing and kind of repeat that in your head like he repeated it to us don't mistake the part for the whole Um, There's there's more to this than just kind of going through the motions or you know having your you know, are are you reading your bible yes i'm I'm doing that every day, but that that's only a certain part of this of this experience um so uh maybe if I could boil that down um to me it meant balance and and that's something that i I presume we all struggle with, but certainly from my my perspective, all of life is balance, and I struggle with all of that and certainly within the christian experience so um, I think we I think we would uh, do well to heed uh, James' advice and uh, continue to examine ourselves. That's what uh, another another major theme was: uh, examine yourself, examine yourself. Ask the question: uh, Are you deceived? Uh, are you deceived into thinking um, that you're a Christian if you're not, or are you deceived in thinking that you're serving and you're not? So, anyway, excellent time. Uh, if you missed it, the, certainly the sermons uh, are on the website. Both BS2BA and ours—they're there now, so you can you can hear them today. So, worthwhile. Uh, where are we at? Reading, Bill? Are you reading? Yep. Um, Luke, the sixth chapter, 20 through 36.
5: Reading from the New International Version. The Pew Bible is page sixteen hundred twenty through thirty six.
0: Please stand with us.
5: Looking at his disciples, he said. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Lord, would you add your blessing to this reading of your holy, inspired word. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Take your red hymnal again and turn to 471-471.
6: Our scripture text this morning is Luke chapter 6. We're looking at the various pains of living the Christian life. And in our last study we delved into the hurt of unjust suffering. That is, suffering which comes your way not for something bad that you did, but for something good that you did. Talk about things going wacko. But we see this all the time in our society. The good being punished, the wicked being prosperous. But you know that this is as old as the Bible itself. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. And then he tells us what it is. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. Now it's true that the normal principle of life is That we reap what we sow. In other words, what comes our way is an outgrowth of our own behavior. But there's a second path, not a curse, not a curse, but a way to God's blessing. And that is blessing for suffering unjustly. For doing right in a wicked world. We talked about a number of those blessings for suffering for righteousness' sake. Number one, the blessing of a confident faith. All who wish to live godly life will suffer persecution, says Paul. So it's a badge of identity with Jesus. That's the second point. The blessing of following in Christ's footsteps and for the same reason. He suffered unjustly, did he not? That was his lot in life. Thirdly, the blessing of accurately representing the good news of the gospel. You are the Bible that people read. And guess what? When they see you suffering and how you handle that, hopefully they're seeing a good picture. And they're learning that being a Christian is not all a bed of roses. And then fourthly, there's the blessing of a clear conscience amidst malignant slander. Joseph of old slept well at night. Why? Because his conscience was clear. That's why. It didn't matter if he was in Potiphar's house or he was in a prison. He was able to sleep, knowing he was in the center of God's will. Today's study zones in on the theme, the pain of unconditional love. Unconditional love. As we come, let's pray for the Spirit to be our teacher. Heavenly Father, please send Thy Spirit upon us to teach us the truth of Your Word. Help us to learn how to continue in the faith, even when We suffer the pain of unthought-of things that would cause pain. I mean, if we're doing good, Lord, why are we suffering for it? Well, because the world is wicked and does not necessarily bless that which is good or approve it. So we pray that you will help us in our study today to see Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit, And the truth that the word of God will bolster us through. Because your word is truth. You are truth. And behind that word is our God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking today at the pain of unconditional love. Having said that, most of the love that we know is conditional. Conditional. Jesus outlines this in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Well, since we are all sinners, we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. From the days of our youth, we have learned to appreciate and love people, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, close friends, and so on, who were demonstrative in their love for us. It was so obvious. I mean, they spoke kindly to us. They put food in our stomachs, clothes on our backs, a roof over our heads. (coughs) They gave us gifts. They complimented good behavior. They chastised bad behavior. They listened when our hearts were full of sorrow. (coughs) They encouraged us when we were depressed. And they helped us when we got into things over our heads. These are all tangible expressions of love. It's easy to love people like this. You don't have to work at it. (coughs) Their love draws out our love. If they love first, you reciprocate. We all long for love like this, don't we? But as good as this kind of love is, it can be nothing more than conditional love. Well, what is conditional love? Simply put, conditional love is rooted in reciprocation. It says, I will love you if you love me. In other words, there's a string attached. We don't have to think about this type of love. It's the love with which most of us are familiar. We love those who, in Jesus' words, love us. I can walk through the Genesee Valley Mall over here in Flint, among the shoppers, passing by dozens and dozens of people shopping, Strangers all to me, and I do not suffer from guilt because I conclude I don't love any of these people. If asked, well, why don't you love them? I can answer confidently because (laughs) I don't know them. They don't know me. They are strangers. They are aliens. Might as well come from Mars or me from Mars. And because they are strangers, I can say in confidence, they don't love me. We're just people sharing the space of a shopping mall on a Friday evening. We will likely never see each other again. We're simply two ships passing in the night. And the implied conclusion is that love is not needed and it is not wanted. What most people think is what I want is for you to leave me alone. That's our new society, by the way. That's why we get annoyed when the, with the shopper at Walmart who walks away with our empty shopping cart. When our backs are turned, there's no love lost here. Where's my shopping cart? It was just here a minute ago. I just turned my back. In the blink of an eye, someone stole my cart. We become angry, become belligerent. We get put out. We never think they didn't know that the cart was mine. No, they did it on purpose. My thoughts were rebuked one day when I turned to see an elderly lady leaning on the cart as she walked away with her cane hooked over the handle. And I knew in an instant she needed it more than me. Conditional love is selfish love. It is love that says, what's in it for me? What do I get if I agree to love you? As soon as the relationship seems to be one-sided, then love, if it can be called such, begins to cool. And the relationship sours and we... Or they move on. This is Hollywood love, isn't it? This is what the tabloids thrive on. Who is Jennifer Lopez's new boyfriend this week? Why was Sean Penn seen at the Oscars with a new woman? On and on it goes. Changing partners more readily than changing socks. And all in the name of falling in love or out of love, as the case may be. Well, it isn't love worthy of the name. Jesus says in our text that it's sinner love. It's what sinners do. It is the common love found everywhere in all societies. It is the most... Uh, things that people aspire to, and so they seldom, if ever, experience unconditional love. They don't give it, they don't receive it. There is hurt in this kind of love, too, when lost, but it's self-inflicted. It's the hurt that comes from unresolved anger or false suspicion Or unrealistic expectations. It's hurt feelings from hurt pride. Often pride that we cannot swallow even to be reconciled and to reestablish peace. Sinner love is shallow. It has no root. Cross me once and we're through. Oh, and sinner love is fickle. Some handsome guy or some beautiful woman casts a glance our way and gives us a wink of the eye. And we do not reason with God's thoughts, which are these. Let me read it from the scripture. A scoundrel and villain goes about with a corrupt mouth, winks with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his finger, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up dissension. Proverbs 6, verse 12 and following. In other words, sinner love is completely and wholeheartedly self-absorbed. Not only does it feed on immediate gratification, it expects it. And when that expectation is not there, the love dies in the coals, like the coals of a fire on a rainy afternoon. Now, as I said, we all experience this kind of conditional love. We do not necessarily plan it, though some may scheme, but we fall into it. It's common love. It is automatic love. It is the love we know best because it comes naturally to us. If we grew up in a home where our parents loved and cared for us, we just accepted it as normal If we grew up in an abusive home where love was in short supply and bitterness and anger and rage were the rule of the day, we may have been and still are willing to settle for even a crumb of sinner love, thinking, well, some love is better than no love. But Jesus in our text is opposed to you just settling for any and all kinds of sinner love. Instead, he directs us to supernatural, unconditional love. And he does this in a most astonishing way. He does not say to us, Love those who do not love you, though that principle is hidden in his appeal. What he says, verse 35 But you love what? Your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them, that is give, without expecting anything back. Whoa, we take a big gulp on that principle, don't we? Here our Lord lays an ax to the root of the problem. Sinner love is conditional. Sinner love says this, I will love you if you love me. I will lend you money if you pay me back. There's nothing extraordinary about this kind of love. The world functions this way on a daily basis. Little or no thought is given to the concept of showering someone with acts of goodness and kindness and love when both you and he would count each other as enemies. Hmm? Huh. That's a harder pill to swallow. One of my favorite movies, Les Mis, the author Victor Hugo. Boy, if you if you listen to that movie, there is a lot of gospel in Les Mis. But anyway, in this uh, particular movie, he captures the concept when. The tables are reversed, and Inspector Javert, who has been hounding Jean Valjean for years for a crime of his youth, his big crime was he stole a loaf of bread when he was hungry. But now the tables are turned, and suddenly Valjean's prisoner is to the students of Paris in an uprising. And they want to kill this captured inspector policeman, lest he inform, of course, on uh, their insurrection. So Valjean, who's been hounded by this ins- this inspector all of his life, volunteers to do the execution. But instead, he takes Inspector Javert to the alleyway. And he cuts his ropes loose and he sets him free. And Javer cannot believe this is happening. So he accuses Valjean of planning to knife him when his back is turned. Oh yeah, I know what you're up to. You're going to kill me out here in this alley. And he offers him a bribe, money to not do that. And Valjean answers, I want no payment. Go. You are free. That's the gospel. The gospel of grace. You're a rascal boy. (laughs) You deserve to be knifed. You deserve to be executed. But go free. This is what our Lord is saying in our text. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them. And you will be sons of the Most High because he, God, is kind to, guess what? The ungrateful and wicked be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The grace of mercy has particular relevance to someone you count as your enemy. When David was victorious over King Saul, there was yet a grandson, Mephibosheth, around whom the northern tribes might well have rallied. Make him their king. We read when Mephibosheth son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always, always eat at my table. We read that Meshavosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? 2 Samuel 9, verse 6 through 8. What's he saying? I'm just a dead dog. I'm a nobody. My family have been after you for years trying to kill you. I don't deserve this kindness. Unconditional love is merciful love. It is godlike love. Listen to Paul's expose on love in 1 Corinthians 13. We read it this morning. Love is not rude, it is not self seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth, and it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and it always perseveres. First Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 7. Notice, not self-seeking keeps no record, what's that, no score of wrongs. There's no idea here of paying back someone for some evil they did to you. And so there's no record keeping. Bygones are truly bygones. They are forgiven and they are forgotten with true love. And did you catch the shift in direction here in unconditional love? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Always protects? Yes, it steps in and it intervenes to save and to help a person that's in trouble. It does not take into consideration such things as, Do I know this person? Hmm... Is he or she my friend or is he or she a stranger to me? Oh, if I get involved, what might happen to me? No, it always trusts, always hopes. And when it says that, I don't think it is a reference to trusting or hoping that men will respond aright to our overtures of love. But it's trusting and hoping in God to bless what He has commanded us to do in loving others so that the example of the unconditional love of God might shine forth to an angry and hateful world. The world does not understand unconditional love. It expects reprisals from enemies, retaliation from those it hurts, and so on. Just look at the negative political ads sometimes. They're like, um, let's see who can out-nasty the next person. <laughs> One thing I don't like about our president, he's proud of this. You heard me, I'm going to hurt you back double. I've heard him say that a number of times, and that's not unconditional love. I recall when uh, Dan Caffey, the owner of Chick-fil-A company, went on record supporting traditional marriage between a man and a woman, and an angry protester drove up to the drive-through window of one of the stores and reamed out the young lady attendant saying, that she worked for, not my words, his words, a hateful organization. He continued, oh, people have to have their Chick-fil-A anti-gay breakfast sandwich. Always tastes better with it's full of hate. She responded in a kind and gracious manner without losing her temper, without retaliation, without vitriol speech pouring out of her mouth. And she told the man that her company believes in treating all customers the same. As a sidebar, we'll call him Mr. Smith. He lost his job. At a medical supply company. But, but, when the female attendant at Chick-fil-A heard of this, she went public to advocate that he not lose his job over this. This is exactly what our response is to be. Listen to Peter's exhortation. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be shamed of their slander. It's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 through 17. Again, first part of the chapter. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But with a blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whomever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech, we must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 11. And Paul adds, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, verse 6. Again from Paul... Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 14 and following. May I say that that is precisely what the young attendant at the Chick-fil-A window did in obedience to Christ and his command of unconditional love. Now back at 1 Corinthians 13, let's catch the last characteristic of unconditional love. Love, says Paul, always protects, yes, always trusts, always hopes. Now notice verse 7, always perseveres. Always perseveres. What I am saying is that conditional love gives up. If your love is conditional, it has the potential of giving up. It throws in the towel. It says, I've had it. I've had it up to here. I'm out of here. And this is because conditional love has limits. If things are not going well, if the person doesn't feel that they are receiving the due attention and consideration or affection they expect in the relationship. There's no incentive to tough it out. (coughs) Pride enters in. Laziness enters in. Preoccupation with easy enters in. As noted, this is epidemic among Hollywood celebrities. They have the fortitude of a wet noodle. That's about it when it comes to tenacious love. Contrast this to unconditional love. Unconditional love is determined to love, even if the love is not reciprocated, even if the other party could care less. (coughs) Maybe I should say it this way, even if there's little or no feelings of love. Some might think, well, Pastor, you're just talking gobbledygook. And I would say that you say that because you define love almost exclusively with the emotional aspect of love, that is, feelings of love. Did you get the point Jesus made? When Jesus commanded us, as he does in our text, Love your enemies, verse 35. My question is, what feelings of love do you have, or does anyone have for that matter, for an enemy? I'm just talking now about the feelings of love. We're made in the image of God, by which we mean that, like God, our personalities consist of reason. We can think, we have a will, we can make decisions, we have emotions. Feelings. So too the grace of God displayed in his attributes are not simply confined to feelings. Did you know that feelings cannot be commanded? They just are. They arise from our nature commensurate with what is happening to us. If what is happening to us is pleasant, oh, we feel happy if what is happening to us is unpleasant we all feel sad if what is happening to us is dangerous we feel ooh fear if what is happening to us is wrong we feel anger and we become indignant Now there are love feelings, thanks God for that. We're not pieces of wood or molecules of stone. Sociopaths act without thought or feeling. But in addition to love feelings, there are love actions. And that is what our Lord is talking about. Look at our text, verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them. And then he illustrates... In lending without expecting a payback. But the example is who? It's the most high God. And how does God demonstrate his love to his enemies? He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And he is merciful. None of which presupposes love feelings. (laughs) But they are love actions. Paul taught the same thing. If your enemy is hungry, guess what? Feed him. (laughs) Do something about it. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 20. This is unconditional love. And this you can do, this you can do, even when feelings of love are not there. Uh, In other words, you can love others for their good and not your comfort. how do we deal with the pain of unconditional love? Unconditional love is like the old Timex um, watch commercials, which said, Timex takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Remember those commercials? Since this love is not based on what you or I get out of it, since it is more concerned with the other party, unconditional love can often be trying because it demands good out of a bad situation. It's not easy to love someone who is in your face. Who is obnoxiously rude. Who is unreceptive to your overtures of kindness. It just as soon spit in your eye. <laughs> Shake your hands. Unconditional love will stretch the limits of your faith. Jesus says, verse 27, love your enemies. And then he lists three ways in which you can demonstrate unconditional love. It's right here in our text. Number one, do good to those who hate you. That's number one. Do good to those who hate you. The hatred of the other party speaks for itself. Don't expect kindness. Don't expect sympathy, compassion, good behavior from someone who hates you. (laughs) You're, You're expecting the unrealistic. The hate could be justified or it could be contrived, but either way, people who hate you wish you ill and they're happy when you fall. And what is more, since they hate you, they expect you to hate them and to reciprocate in the same way they would on any given situation. Well, that's conditional love. That's They don't love you, so they don't expect you to love them. It, it's, a, it's a kind of given. And they're willing to live <laughs> with that as a basis of not liking you. I don't really care if you like me back or love me back. I'm still going to hate you. Imagine then the reaction from those who, being filled with compassion of God and unconditional love of God, do not respond in the expected way. Jesus, in verse 29, if someone strikes you on the one cheek, what? Turn the other cheek. What? Turn the other cheek? Now, what would the normal reaction be if someone walked up to you in anger and slapped you in the face? You said something they didn't like. You did something they did not approve. Or neither. They just hate you for who and what you are. A Christian trying to live an exemplary life, and whop! They slap you in the face. I dare say that the normal response would be to slap them back. Who do you think you are? Why did you hit me? And before long, the fists would be flying. And what a shocker! However, if instead of slapping back, you turn the other cheek. This is passive. It's not aggressive. And it's also humbling. It puts a bridle on pride and it puts a muzzle on retaliation. And it is so radically different. So stupendously unexpected that your assailant would scarcely know how to react. Oh, and something else. They would be ashamed. Most people would be ashamed. Just like the liberal antagonist who rallied on the Chick-fil-A employee. He apologized and said, Oh, I I can I cannot understand why that young woman responded so kindly to me. Yeah. He couldn't understand it. Peter puts it this way, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter 3, verse 16. And Paul put it this way, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 21. So the first principle is do good to those who hate you. second principle is bless those who curse you. (laughs) Uh, This is going a step further, isn't it? (laughs) Bless those who curse you. Paul says bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, Romans 12, 14. Peter says do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. 1 Peter 3, verse 9 and 10. Now again, is this normal? Someone calls you out and curses you as an SOB or worse? What's going to be your general response? Well, a war of words probably ensue and maybe fists will start flying or chairs or tables or whatever. And Solomon makes this connection. He says, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Proverbs 16, verse 21. He says again, an angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits Many sins. Proverbs 29 verse 22. Don't most fights begin with words? So if you can get a control of your tongue, that's a plus. David said of the wicked, your tongue plots destruction. Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you love evil rather than good falsehood rather than speaking the truth you love every harmful word oh you deceitful tongue psalm 52 verses 2 through 4 wow and james gives this exposé He says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of life on fire. And is itself set on fire by hell. Ooh! (laughs) It is a restless evil. I'm still reading scripture. It is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Oh, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Salt, water, and fresh. My brothers, this should not be. James 3, verses 6 through 10. Picture then the very supernatural, the very unsuspected, unheard of display of supernatural love when, in response to a curse, we respond with a blessing. What does it mean to bless someone? Well, it means to call down a praise upon someone, to ask God's goodness to be upon a person. And that's supernatural love. It's Christ in action. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. 1 Peter 2, verse 20. And if ever anyone had cause to curse somebody or to call down wrath on somebody, it would have been Jesus on his executioners. So, firstly, do good to them. Secondly, call down the blessing. And number three, it's in our text. Pray for those who mistreat you. (laughs) How did Jesus teach us to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Matthew 6, verse 13. Avoid the trouble, but now, once in trouble, we are to pray not so much for our deliverance, But for the troublers, deliver us from the evil ones. Well, what shall we pray? When they came to the police, called the skull, and there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, verse 33. May I say that it is only unconditional love that can pray good down upon those who are mistreating you. But that is exactly what is needed. Only God can change their heart. Think about that. And you are their appointed intercessor. They think mistreating you is a favor they do to God. And you know that they are digging their own grave and only God can change that. So what do we hear about Abraham, the father of the faithful? He had to pray for Abimelech. Pray for Abimelech before God, would revitalize the wombs of the wives of the Philistines, in other words, the people over whom Abimelech ruled, and allow them to conceive children again, because in Abimelech taking Sarah and planning to marry her as his own, God had closed all the wombs of all the Philistines, You can't have a nation very long if you're not having babies and producing new children. Now he took Abraham's wife, Sarah. And God said to Abimelech, you go to Abraham and he will pray for you. And when he prays for you, I will lift the lockdown on all the wombs of the Philistine women so that, you, so that they can have children again. Think about that. It was Abraham's wife that Abimelech conscripted, and God said to Abimelech, you go to Abraham and he'll pray for you, and you'll be healed. Your, your ladies will be healed. Oh, on another occasion, Job had to pray for his overly zealous friends who, what? Spent chapter after chapter berating him day in, day out, probably months, calling him a secret sinner, a hypocrite in his life, and on and on it went. You get to the end chapters of the book of Job and God says, (laughs) You guys, you better go to Job and he'll pray for you. He'll pray for you. It's God's people that touch the heart of God. And if you're not going to pray for the wicked, if you're not going to pray for your enemies, there's going to be no healing. There's going to be no change in society. I don't love my enemies. With that you don't have to have love feelings. You have to have love actions. Oh, and just let me close on this feeling matter. Jesus taught where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. The heart speaks of the feelings where your treasure is that's where your heart will be that's where the love feelings will be so what he was giving us is this principle the more you invest in somebody even an enemy the more you give up yourself the more you treasure that person your feelings are going to go where that treasure is where you have that treasure And it's possible for us to learn how to have love feelings even for an enemy. And praise God if they see that. And the Lord uses that to turn them into your friend. That's our task. Think about Jesus. That's what he's done for us. He's made friends out of enemies. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your love that it is unconditional. It is not sinner love. It is not I'll love you if you love me. It is rather I'll love you even if you don't love me back. And I will love you even though you're my enemy. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us as Christians to have a sense sense of that kind of love. That you will bless us with that. Our world needs to see that. They have the sinner love. They do. As long as their love is reciprocated, they'll they'll hang in there. They'll tough it out. They'll work through their problems. They'll remain united. But boy, if the love is not reciprocated in time, their hearts will grow bitter. And they'll want to flee the coop. I pray, Lord, that we won't be fickle like that. Help us to have the tenacious love, the kind of love that God has for sinners. Grant that to us as well. Help us to love our enemies and to bless them when they curse us and to do good to them when they have our ill in their mind and heart, when they want to do us harm. Remove from us the spirit of retaliation and get even and all of that that we hear so much in our world today. Help us to live Christ before the watching world for the glory of the gospel and for the salvation of people's own souls. We pray these things. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity, Red Hymnal 654. 654. the grace of God to follow all the way to the end, don't we? It's not by our own strength. I mean, when you think about it, God asks us <clears throat> to do the impossible. Love an enemy? <laughs> Bless them? Do good to them? All of those things, that, that's impossible for human love, but not for supernatural God-given love God-given grace. Well, tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be meeting in the basement for our continual study in the Gospel of John. And tonight we start a new chapter, chapter 18. Say, what's chapter 18? Well, you should read it before you come tonight. But it has to do with Judas leading uh, the troops to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Christ. How could he do that? And then, walking up to him and giving him a kiss. A kiss of betrayal. There's a lot of meat in that study. So I hope to see you out tonight at six o'clock for our study. Thank you. We're dismissed. <laughs>